Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. Magical beings, I'm so glad you're here with me today for this very special episode. In my own humble opinion, if you click play and then you decided to listen to this episode today for whatever reason, you're in for a very special treat because the episode that I'll be sharing here today is a panel discussion that I hosted and recorded with my friends, classmates, and colleagues who We were together in an astrology embodiment container called Meteorite. So throughout 2021, I was part of an incredible community of astrologers who have graduated from that beginner's level um, learning, right, or stage of like learning the planets, the signs, the houses, and the basic meanings of all of those. And um, this community we were really committed to embodying our own relationship with astrology more fully and to explore what that might mean for us in a communal setting. It was facilitated by one of my teachers, Sabrina Monarch, who is an astrologer and a writer primarily practicing a branch of astrology called evolutionary astrology. In this conversation, we discussed the idea of astrology as a future language. We also discussed the idea of the spirit of language, our own personal experiences learning astrology, and what it means to be human beings who interact with the vast possibilities of the astrological language. If you had a chance to listen to episode one, which is a solo episode where I spoke about what the name of this podcast, Healing the Spirit, is all about, you probably also remember me talking about the idea of astrology as future language, as well as how that idea came to me. If you haven't, feel free to check out that episode, but please know that it's not a requirement for you to follow along with our discussion here. There is one thing that I would like to address before we get into the panel discussion, which is the idea that astrology is a language. For some of you listening, perhaps you've been learning astrology for some time and you've heard this phrase that astrology is a language and that may be very obvious to you. And others hearing this may be like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Well, astrology is admittedly a lot of things, but the one facet that we really dialed into within this discussion is astrology as an archetypal language. What does that mean exactly? Okay, so let's say your son is in Cancer. You may see one internet meme saying, Cancers are crybabies, which I'm sure you've heard of a lot. And then you may also be doing a little digging and then find a website that says, Cancer is associated with the mother energy. And if you stop and think about this a little critically, 
You may be a little bit like, huh? What? So is cancer the mother or the baby? Well, the answer is yes, exactly. That's the heart of what we call archetypal languages. Archetypal languages are symbolic. And one symbol can mean many different things, right? Depending on the context. And because symbols are slippery and they resist strict categorization, they provide a beautiful opportunity for us to see our complexity, our multivalence, and our humanness reflected back to us. So before I get into the episode, I would like to um, just speak out the names of the lovely, brilliant people that you'll be hearing from today. They are Verena Borel, Sabrina Monarch, Mirella Trimboli, Kelly Chalmers, Jenny Chu, A.S. Katoch, or we also call him Rudy, uh, Maddie Gajewski, Fabiola Calvo, and Nicole Elise. I would love for those of you listening to connect with them, and I will be including their information in the show notes. You will see that I've created very, very detailed show notes with time markers and everything to indicate who's speaking when. So if you hear something incredible that really resonates with you, and you're curious about who said it, and you want to connect deeper with them, you will have the opportunity to check out these show notes and see who said it. And then maybe you can reach out to them, whether that's to simply let them know that you really appreciated their perspectives on this episode, or even book a session with them. All right, as you may know, one of my intentions in creating this podcast is to create a communal space where we weave conversations to envision and embody exactly the future we would like to birth through the lens of astrology, archetypal languages, and art. And seriously, listening back to this conversation, I feel like this conversation does exactly that. Um, and that's why I'm super, super excited to share this conversation with you. All right, let's get into it. Welcome everyone. So I'm really excited to be with all of you um, in this space today. Um, really, we're going to be exploring together this idea of the future language because um, I feel like the seed of the vision for this project was really planted in Sabrina's intensive, where at the end we all kind of shared our life stories and um, shared our charts together. And um, I was really impressed by that because I felt like something emerged in that space, which, you know, all of us in Meteorite has been, um, we've been through that course and through that experience. And I feel like a new way of being, at least for me, really emerged in that um space of collectively looking at our charts, um, sharing our life stories, and really kind of connecting to something greater than each of us individually. Um, my sense is that language is a living thing in and of itself, and 
that language is not just a messenger, because I think often in our more mechanistic way of looking at the world, the ways that we've been conditioned and educated to see language has been very utilitarian, like as if language is simply a way to get from point A to point B. And yes, all of that is true. You know, language definitely moves information. Language transmits feelings and also it transports um, visions from one person or one entity to another. But whenever we relate to language and whenever we invoke language, I feel like there is a way in which whether we're conscious or not, we as a personal, as a collective really kind of touch in or get into the spirit of language itself. And, you know, in astrology, I feel like we're all aware of that because we talk about Mercury as its own like entity, as its own thing. And so, you know, Hermes or Mercury in astrology or in the mythology is really an archetype with its own personality with his own character and even with his own agenda. So similarly, I feel like my own felt sense of language is that it has its own spirit and how we collectively and personally relate to the spirit kind of changes over time. And so I feel like there's something really exciting um, that I want to explore in real time with all of you around this idea of language having its own spirit, and also to learn and use, you know, in this space, I feel like we're really using and learning and investigating language with such deep reverence and curiosity that there's potential to insert our collective, and by collective, I mean like within this group, right? Our collective hopes and dreams into the picture. Because if this spirit of the language is kind of an animate, thing, right? Not only does it um, change us, or not only is it in communication with us, but we also are in communication with that spirit of the language itself. Um, before we press record, or at least I press record, um, I guided us through kind of an arriving exercise where I asked us to really connect with our breath. And to me, like this idea of inspiring, you know, came from the Latin of inspirare, which is like roughly it translates into breathing into something. And so I feel like, um, yeah, I, I want to open up the space to all of you um, because I'm curious to hear, you know, before we really move into the more collective aspect on a personal level, how has, you know, living, studying, contemplating through the lens of astrology, how has that taught you something about your personal relationship with language? And also feel free to give any context um, with maybe any stories or anecdotes about how you perceive language or how you communicate using language before and after you study astrology, if you notice that there are any evolution or change to that. I can share something. I think that, 
yeah, my relationship to Mercury and language has so much evolved since I know the language astrology. And especially, I think that it is no coincidence that I found evolutionary astrology, um, which is for me as a person who comes from Germany, not very common and that I study all things about astrology since the beginning in English. So I had this challenge to study a new language, astrology, in another language, English. And I think alone this, this fact has for sure um, made me think about language and has evolved my language and the foreign language, English. So to communicate in two new languages with astrology and English. And exploring my own chart, I found out that Mercury is such an important point for me and that I have him as an evening star in Gemini in the 12th house. And that when I um, look at the ruling planets of all the planets, everything comes back to Mercury. And um, I really, um, I think I evolved in loving relationship to Mercury and I really love him and when you talk about him I just have to smile because I think Mercury is such a wonderful really wonderful um, archetype he's the magician he's the trickster he can go to the Pluto, Pluto to the underworld to the Hades he can climb above the Olymp he can go to the heavens he's He's a shapeshifter. And as you said, I think that language is something we can create worlds with language and the world uh, makes something with language. So world and language is in both of both sides in exchange. And for me, I think that um, my whole idea what language is really opened up and it's yeah ex my left brain exploded into the heavens with astrology and totally um yeah opened up this whole topic what language is and how we can create language and how we can with create with language as well and yeah for me personally it was um that i reflected that um, I always, or how important language always has been for me. And I have a Mercury um, Sun conjunction and Mercury's opposing my moon. Um, so I reflected back to my childhood and that I have written stories all the time and that my, my, um, my teachers, when I was a little girl, always said that I write stories where you can read between the lines mm. and already as a child there was this theme of there is something between words there's some meaning that comes that is beyond the 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 literal word or the sentence that you can talk without words astrology helped me to open up this whole topic I was thinking as you were speaking about how as a songwriter, 
I think a lot about how language is always in communication or kind of in a dance with something else, right? Because when you're writing songs, you're writing not just the lyrics, but also the melody. And sometimes the most banal lyrics can be the best uh, or like the most banal words can just be the best lyrics because they really kind of interact with the melody. But anyways, um, I feel like that kind of speaks to what you're saying too about how language is expansive and there's something to be gleaned between the lines. Yeah, and even my my astrological prax- practice is so combined with writing. So I think I I explore the archetypes by writing about them. I wanted to share as well that, you know, before I got into astrology, at the the way that I'm into it now, I was into literature. And my favorite <clears throat> kind of thing to read was poetry or prose fiction that pinpointed an extreme nuance of experience. I wanted to read something that I'd never read before. Um, and not at the level of plot, because I think there's that question, can you create a new story or has every story already been written and we're just writing variations of the same stories, right? Mm. But with language, like, can someone describe something that I've never heard anyone name before? Like, that was what I was always searching for. And when I would find that kind of writing, I would feel electrified, like in my psyche, in my actual body too. And then when it came to astrology, finding these astrological texts, say like Jeffrey Wolf Green's writing, where the language itself is so penetrating that I have a change in consciousness from reading it, Mm. that I see something about myself um, or see a pattern or like have the experience of reading something that constellates a whole memory stream of all these, you know, maybe 20 different times I've had that experience that this thing is touching. And the actual language is kind of this mix of abstract, like it's broad enough to contain like the range of an experience, but it's also highly specific energetically. Like it's a a theme, but I find that language, you know, just day-to-day conventional language doesn't always touch that deep like micro nuance of human experience. But I think that astrology delineations really can. And that the more we're practicing this language and we already know the sun signs and, you know, or the zodiac signs and the planets at a general level that you just keep going deeper and deeper. And the image that has come to me when I think about this process of transformation is like a sheet of ice, like, and then a needle uh, going into the sheet of ice and the ice dissolving and that there's all these micro layers of like, I'll read something, um, or receive a delineation and I feel shattered in the best way, uh, and like open to life, but it's just a thin sheet of ice, right? Like, and maybe there's those moments of those more, you know, huge realizations or something, but I feel like the deeper in the practice of astrology, it's just those little, acupuncture-esque adjustments uh, of the language that spark some kind of deeper opening. It's also amazing to me how sometimes within the context of talking about our own charts, um, whether that's a peer or, or an actual consulting astrologer can reflect to us basically just in a slightly different word 
what we just said to them and yet it becomes so nourishing like there's something in the act of that reflecting that really opens something up i think definitely i'll chime in because um as i've been uh really learning the language of astrology i've also been learning italian so i've kind of Astrology became a part of my life just a little bit before I decided to make the move to Italy. Um, and so that's been an interesting experience, I think, around language because I would, for me, um, I always just had the one language, just English, even if growing up around me, um, my relatives and even my dad were speaking their dialect of where they come from in Italy. It was like background noise. It didn't seem to concern me. It wasn't really something that I felt like I was a part of. And and I even took for granted that, you know, growing up in Australia but with Italian uh, family as well, you have your own language. They've made their own language. But, I again, I wasn't hyper aware of it. I think I just took it for granted like that's this is our subculture. We speak English in this way. We speak. We just make our own words to describe our own experiences. Came really naturally, and um, yeah, going to school, going to university, um, and then you know, in my teaching career, I've always felt like I had a real mastery of the English language and really enjoyed crafting sentences. I've always enjoyed that. I I, I loved writing essays. Uh, for the subjects that required it because I just really enjoyed the process of crafting um, a sentence, a paragraph, an essay, everything like that. And I think, you know, my Mercury um, in a sixth house uh, speaks of that anyway, like this language as a craft. Anyway, jumping to this more recent experience, um, I felt like I had to, uh, with astrology, and with learning Italian, I, f- I felt like I had to really apply a very uh, academic mind, like I had to really effort it. And that wasn't working at first for either. And I was very frustrated because I've never had a problem learning anything and I didn't understand why I was finding the learning of both um, challenging. And I think I realised it about astrology first, um, it's, or, or I allowed it more because I think I thought, okay, well, astrology is a science but an art. So there's a certain allowing of the language to come to you. And, of course, I mean, that's what you do as a kid. Like when you learn your first language, you allow the, uh, you, the language comes to you. You allow it in. You don't effort it because you well, that doesn't even mean anything when you're a kid. You don't put a lot of effort into walking. You don't put a lot of effort in touching your hand to your nose. Like these are things that just think you allow them. You allow, allow, allow. And I started to do that with astrology um, first, I think, realising that by doing that I can tap into so much more and I can make so many more connections and I can have much more fluidity with engaging with the archetypes, with blending houses and signs together, with the planets and the aspects and all the things and explain them and find the nuance for the particular person of their chart um, that I might be looking at and it was from an allowing and so and it happens more naturally than I would expect I, I have that 
nervous tension where I think, oh, my God, I will not be able to figure this out. And then I realise, no, I won't, not with my mind. I need to allow and let it come to me and wash over me and um, and then put that together. So the language, um, and so I've realised that with Italian as well. The more effort I try to put into like learning grammar instead of just letting it wash over me and experience it, and then I think you can speak it. It's there. Like just allow, just let go. And yeah, I, I can I can have a whole conversation. It's not a problem. But if I think, oh, well, like what's the structure? I yeah, I lose it all and I can't grasp it. So it's been. I mean, I think this is just a huge lesson for life. Anyway, <laughs> like the lesson of allowing versus putting effort. Um, but yeah, it's been like this has been a big theme, and I didn't realize until we we had this conversation that. Um, the way that they're like having to learn this new language or, or choosing to, I guess I don't have to learn Italian, but <laughs> choosing to and choosing to learn the language of astrology, um, how they've, you know, they've worked together um, in revealing this need for, for allowing it to wash over you and allowing the art of it because, yeah, I mean, we have structure to language, we have rules, we can put it together in a particular way. There is a right way of writing a sentence in a language that, you know, they, there are those structures, but the expression, which is what we're really going for, and is to express yourself, um, that you need to allow. And I think, you know, like the thing that I've um, connected with the most then is I enjoy crafting. I enjoy crafting together the elements in a chart just as much as a sentence or a paragraph. Like I love that. Um, but also, like what it's allowed for me personally, for myself, um, and in conversation with other people about their charts, is I can I can weave together the feeling behind it as well because obviously this is not an intellectual exercise alone just like if you want to express yourself in any language it has a feeling component to it Um, and that's something that I think I didn't understand or realize or acknowledge about language before so yeah that's been a pretty yeah very significant experience for me. The process of learning language is also like a death birth rebirth process you know like you kind of have to deconstruct and then you have to reconstruct and then you put something back but it's not like what it was before so yeah that really resonates as well because yeah you don't realize how um unless you have to or unless you do start to learn some other language as an adult I guess you don't you don't realize what what went into it or what's part of it you just think it's just you know the way we've been kind of conditioned to learn things um and yeah learning astrology and I think also learning a language is not it's the way that we maybe have been taught to traditionally learn is not necessarily the most effective for these two and I think they share that in common well because obviously astrology is a language too so yeah the way that it has affected me going deep down into this path in astrology and language I feel back to uh, Verena's point about left brain and right brain language is a left brain thing but energy and archetypes and mythology and mysticism is the right brain and it has created um a sense of balance in my own consciousness um 
the archetypes, you know, I, I went into business myself, you know, so I know computer, I know programming languages, I'm in technology. Um, I know the value of putting a precise, concise email together, a business case together to get your point across. Um, what I lost in that line of work was my love for Greek mythology. So I didn't do that in university. Um, but I'm brought back into what I thought were myths and, um, symbolism of civilization, um, and like his history and the way that they thought about art. I have come to the understanding through this and, and through plant medicine as well, the archetypes are, um, they infuse our consciousness and to understand the stories of the past, to understand the meanings, the originations of the words that are used today in everyday life um, is a way to unlock the spell of illusion that some of us have been, not some of us, all of us have been programmed with in terms of learning this left brain view and not kind of being able to incorporate the right brain into it and have this wholesome view of what reality, mysticism, consciousness really is. Um, so for me, it's been a dive deeper into my consciousness and humanity and maybe combining the mind and the heart um, and just kind of unlocking potential keys through the language of astrology into a broader view of dimensions that may not have been available in um, our 3D education and working system. So it's just given me so much. The whole time that we've been you've, we've been talking about this, there's been a woodpecker in a tree right in front of me, and I'm like, "What's the woodpecker? Because why is he just sitting here?" And the woodpecker, as if I, somebody with woodpecker medicine is able to use concise language to always bring their view across and to um, bring enlightenment to other people. So I thought that was very interesting that this totem came in for this conversation right now. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, that's beautiful. I saw that you had a thought, Verena, um, about the analytical brain and the transiting notes. Um, and then I definitely want to get to you, Jenny. Yes, just to add to the beautiful thoughts that Kelly just mentioned because of the uh, left brain and the right brain and that we, um, yeah, that astrology helps us to connect both of them. And I had this um, this idea about at the moment, we have uh, the last degrees of the North Node in Gemini and the South Node in Sagittarius. And for me personally, it's so much about this, um, yeah, this balance between Gemini, which is more um, brought together with the left brain thinking, the logic, and Sagittarius, which is more brought together with the right brain, the intuition, the archetypal ways of thinking um, without. Um, yeah, without, without logic. And now in the next month at the, in January, 2022, the North, uh, North node will move into Taurus, the South node into Scorpio. And I just had this, yeah, this feeling that 
at the moment we are balancing maybe personally, maybe collectively. It's so much about information. It's so much about intuition. We are balancing these, these, um, um, yeah, information versus intuition. What feels true for me, what is in the media, so this whole dance between left brain and right brain. And I think there will be maybe an opening or maybe a deepening um, relating to language when the notes move into Taurus, because Taurus is so much for me about body language, about things like plant language or talking talking with plants talking with nature talking with animals animal communication body communication the wisdom of the body so i think maybe this whole language topic will much more deepen and um expand um in the next year maybe and i think that's something for you, Jonathan, personally, with this well, wonderful podcast project that you're starting right now, so that you, we, we can yeah, pull the whole language topic from Gemini to um, Taurus and from Sagittarius, the the wisdom which comes more from traveling, from experience, the inner guru into the deep, deep fears of Scorpio, the underworld. And I think that's going to be very juicy. I love that. Also, Taurus is my, rules my ninth house, so I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Verena. Oh my gosh, Verena, that's so incredible to think about that there... I love, first of all, I love thinking about language as a spirit. And when we start thinking about language in all of these other forms, I mean, body language, energetic language, whatever that is, I just, I love, I love conceptualizing around that. What is something that's even beyond language? If language is simply about meaning making, right? Like we're trying to make meaning of something and oftentimes it's of our own lives. I think there's an incredible vast possibility in astrology that I don't often encounter in other spaces. And I think Sabrina talked a little bit about this too. There's, um, I think Nietzsche was the one that talked about reason killing God, right? And if we're, when I think about Western psychology and the DSVM and basically pathologizing people, and that seems like such an empirical fixed way of understanding human nature, there's something about astrology that fills and sort of reinfuses that sort of divine, that God back into reason. And that's why I'm really drawn to astrology and the language and the framework, because I get something different, even if the sort of energetic quality of an archetype is similar between different astrologers, it is always different. There's always a different sort of tinge or a lens or a filter in which the language always feels like it's shifting to me. And then it's really slippery, which is, um, I actually have my North Node in Gemini and South Node in Sagittarius, and I also have my, Cap my, my Mercury in Capricorn. So that, um, that constant shifting, that constant uh, filtering through, or the fact that it always feels a little elusive is one, I think part of always constantly 
challenging my sense of any sort of conception of a fixedness in reality or a fixedness in identity or a fixedness in any sort of meaning making. And that is something that's like really incredibly, I think, valuable in the way that astrology works. Um, that it it does really it infuses the the sort of inexplicability of the divine into something that is sort of explicable because it's in language, um, but it's always slippery. It's always changing, um, which is essentially the inherent experience of us as humans is that we're constantly changing. So to have, I think, a framework that is also that also mirrors that is incredible. It feels right to me if there is a sense of any sort of rightness. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, before we pressed record, Jenny, I pulled the magician card among other cards that I pulled. And I've been thinking a lot about like spirit communication or like channeling or that kind of idea, right? Because I think we're always channeling. The thing is, we think like we don't use that language, but an artist, you know, creating a painting or a novelist writing a book is channeling, you know, when you create your business presentation deck, um, and Kelly can probably relate to this, <laughs> like when I have to create a deck, you know, for like my corporate job, like I create something out of nothing, you know, and so there's like a way in which we are always channeling, we're just not always conscious of it. And we're not always skillful around it. And I think that one of the things that I've been wrestling with is this idea of like, what does it mean to be a clear channel, right? Because I think educated, being educated under, or being people under, educated under this more mechanistic perspective, we can think about how there's one objective view, right? But like, is that even a possibility? Or is our job really to like clear out what is not meant to be coming through us, you know, because for example, right, I may really love writing lyrics, you know, but if a novel comes through me, maybe it's best that I leave that idea and leave it to someone like Sabrina, right? This is just an example. But, you know, like thinking about what idea is here for us to explore and what idea is not here for us to explore, I feel like that to me feels much more in alignment with this idea of like, keeping a clear channel rather than like being this blank space because it's impossible for any of us to be a blank space but anyways yeah i think jonathan where the charts come in is like having that inner knowing of your own chart and that analysis and working with the symbology of your chart and planets it can guide you into the right space for your channeling or not the right space, but the space that it gives you um, the surrender and the openness. Like it can put you in and zone you in to where you need to go. Mm. Because I do feel that with the, the collective consciousness, we have so much available to us all the time. And that might be perhaps our biggest issue. And then a few years, because there's so much information so how do we take all of these information, these words, these ideas, and create something of value that is part of our individual path? Um, and I think that the language within our charts is able to guide us into and steer us in the right direction. I wanted to add, too, about the 
the channel concept that Vesta came in my mind when you're talking about that. And um, Vesta and Hermes have a connection in the mythology. They're not like married per se, but they have this like relationship. And I think about Vesta as like temple space or having a frequency and the kind of question of like, what, what frequency are we devoted to? What are we intending to channel? And one practice that I play with um, that I've done for a lot of my life is writing in a journal, but writing from a tinted perspective, right? Like I can be kind of in a weird mood, but if I decide to write through my, of my day, through the perspective that it was really magical in some way, then my mood actually changes. And I start to notice what was actually magical. And then maybe when I'm done writing, the day takes a turn for the better. And this can happen with like a gratitude practice as well, like searching for more things to be grateful for. It's like, there's some participatory part of the universe. That's like, cool, let me send you more things for your gratitude practice. Um, so I think that Vesta and Mercury, you know, work together in that way where it's like, we can pick up information from any channel at all. But if we have a fire that we're tending, like Vesta in the myth is like keeping a certain fire lit and not letting it go out. So kind of deciding what we want to be tending, then Mercury like has a, um, a pathway. And it's kind of like, for example, with like an archetype, Taurus, uh, any of the archetypes, which is Taurus, for example, Taurus isn't limited. Like there's an infinite amount of information about Taurus, but by focusing on the Taurus archetype, we can glean like more of that possibility. So I think that channel and focus and devotion came to mind. Along the same lines as that, I just wanted to, I was thinking of Mercury as the lower octave of Uranus. And I think of Uranus as the the downloader, like you just download from that, like that is where you receive, um, you know, all, all that is being channeled towards you and, and Uranus as non-linear time or that, you know, time is actually not linear at all and it's only like the present moment and you can source from, you can create, get from source and then um, bring that into Mercury which is then to express all that. So I really feel that and I feel that like my, you know, my day job is writing nowadays is not teaching anymore, but uh, writing maths questions all day long, right? Because that, that might sound like really horrible. It's not though. I do it totally as like a channeled process. I totally think, okay, so this is what I have to do. What am I feeling? Which one am I feeling is just going to flow through me and that's the one that I do and then I like it just comes out of me like that I don't I I acknowledge it's like I have a part in it but really it's just like definitely I'm just channeling that um I'm just receiving whatever is whatever feels whatever feels good like whatever feels like the inspiration for the right way to construct a certain question um so yeah it's that's really interesting this idea of channel I wanted to add something about um, Mirella's wonderful thoughts with Uranus and Mercury and Sabrina's Vesta Temple um, Mercury relation. I think that on the one hand, um, yes, I 
having Mercury in the 12th house, I can relate so much because I think Pisces has this openness to information wherever it comes from too. And Uranus for sure too. So this download of ideas, this idea of having like the Akashic Records, having this field of information. And with our Mercury, we can pull some information and translate it. So I had this, when I opened my Akashic Records last night, I had really this, this um, picture of light, which I can um, translate into language, into courses, into projects, so that everything is just a translation of the light. So, and I think that is a wonderful idea. And on the other hand, it can be so overwhelming to have this field of information. And our Gemini Sagittarius um, part can have the feeling of exploding because of this Uranian field of information. So what do we need? We need Virgo. We need, and here we come to the temple idea. We come, because I had not to think about Vesta, but Vesta is, yeah, some kind, same, same, but different. I had to think about the priestess energy of Virgo, the discernment. And we had last year um, so many times um, Neptune in, no, we had Vesta in Virgo squaring the nodes so, um, for many months. So this idea of, okay, we need to discern. We need to discern what we want to channel, what we want to be a clear channel for um, that actually serves us and serves the world. And I think that there is something with the channeling, there's something like, a mutual reception between the Mercury who picks up the information and the Uranian quality or the maybe Piscean quality too, who gives the information. I think that in a way we, we have to be open to learn and we have to do our studies so that we prepare the ground. We prepare like a rich soil and ground um, by learning, by reading, by do our research, by go to the classes, so that then when we have prepared a little bit of the soil, we cannot create the whole tree alone, but we can prepare the soil. And then we can be open that the seed flops from the heaven into our ground, and then the magic can happen. Wow. I love that, Verena. I was really um, feeling this connection between what you're saying and what Maddie was saying about how, you know, language can be a way or a vessel for us to manifest what we want. So I'm curious if you would want to speak more about that, Maddie, and maybe how that even relates to your own experience or your astrological journey thus far. Yeah, so when I think about language, um, I think about how my life's changed so much. And now when I'm trying to explain myself or kind of explain what's going on, astrology is most likely used in it. Um, and so I feel like it's kind of just been like evolving me as well as evolving everyone around me, um, really getting us in touch with the language. And the more that I use it, the more that I see like things come into my life. 
Um, and I just use language to manifest anything. Um, the more that you say it, you speak it out, things start to come towards you. You know, very simple manifestation. Can I interject? This isn't actually, I, first of all, I love this channeling conversation, but something that I'm also reminded about in terms of language is how, and I talked about this a little bit earlier about how stuck it can get, right? I'm also just thinking about the ways in which some people just flatten astrology into just basic sun signs or like, oh, I'm just, I, I hate all Scorpios, right? Because they're vengeful. And, or um, I'm also just reminded of this hilarious Guardian article about um, back in 2019 about Capricorns need not apply. Is it legal to pick a roommate by astrological sign in New York? Because they had, so there's also like, it just, um, so I think that we have to be really careful with language, right. And talking about Sagittarius and dogma, right. Like that desire, I think to take language and to create a sort of cosmology, but like a, but a very dogmatic cosmology too, is like a danger when we're thinking about language So that's just something that came through when I was thinking about how I've also seen other people who understand astrology in a lay, in a lay way, um, using it in a way that just, it's like, it's very categorical. It's also used in a way to separate people. And how can we, how can we ensure that the future doesn't include this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about how, some of the challenge we currently have with astrology or that I've observed people coming into learning or reading spaces with is this idea that like the whole chart is you, right? Which is true and not true because it is like, it does provide a certain lens through which, as Maddie was saying, it's like a prism through which you um, like filter your experience, right? And at the same time, also um, there are things outside of your control. And I think to to discount or to disregard the possibility for other things to also like filter through, you know, the birth chart and for you to be able to see things in the birth chart as other than you. Like, it seems really difficult for folks to like, like the other day I had a session where someone was just kind of broken open with this idea that you know what like your mercury being in you know the traditional language right being in detriment or fall kind of doesn't really have anything to do with you like it has to do with how the world around you sees language and experiences language and how you know maybe you are going in opposition with that you know and what you're feeling about how you express yourself is stuck because of the world around you and you know not just like the responsibility is not just on you i think that language like the language of astrology which i'm still learning um helps my it just helps like my view of the world not seem so rigid um and it feels like it's like a spirit of connection and astrology is sort of like a language of movement for me, um, which does help me connect more to my dreams. And it's like, 
it just helps me lean and melt into a more fluid way of seeing the world versus just like even though I use like English or Spanish to like describe astrology it's it's not really like the words that I use it's more of like what I see feel and perceive um and I learned language like I learned English first no I learned Spanish first and then I learned English but I was still learning I was learning them at the same time so for me it was like a lot of decoding like we only spoke Spanish here at home but then when I would go to school it would be I felt a little bit isolated so with English and Spanish there's like a little bit of pain attached to it um because I just had to like constantly like shift the ways that I was like communicating with people but then astrology is like it just gives me room to breathe um and there's not so much there's not really pain attached to it it's a way for me to like witness myself and others yeah um i i really like what you said fabiola um about using astrology as a way to kind of witness yourself because i kind of have always felt like i've used language as a way to kind of disguise myself so for example, growing up, I've always been a really great imitator. Like I've always been able to pick up on um, like the inflections or the accents of the people that I'm around to just kind of blend in. And then as I got older and I learned Spanish, I almost felt like I used to kind of hide behind speaking Spanish as well. Um, you know, I felt like it was a way to kind of like you know, because um, I've always had a lot of problems articulating myself. And then when I would speak Spanish, I really kind of feel accepted because it's like, oh, they're not going to think I'm stupid. They're just going to think that, um, you know, I'm learning this language and and I can kind of just hide my insecurities about myself behind that. And with astrology, it just kind of feels like, I mean, I do talk about it to other people, but in terms of like, getting to know myself and as a self-study, it just kind of feels like a language that's just for me. You know, like if I don't want to share it with anybody, that's fine. But, um, and even if I do, it's like, I don't have to hide behind it. I don't have to make it represent something that I don't feel comfortable with myself about. You know, it's just, it, it's helped me, like Fabiola was saying, like really witness myself and really just get to know myself in a way that I've never been able to do before. So yeah, that, that's really it. But, um, but yeah, thank you for this, Jonathan, because it's really kind of making me realize so many things. So. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah. I feel that I do feel like a lot of us come into this language because all the other languages that we've been engaging does not sufficiently describe our experience to, I don't know, or like there's something about how we've been using language that limits us instead of liberates us. 
and in learning and kind of using this you know archetypal language we were opened up you know so i think if i recall correctly jonathan you kind of opened the um you opened the question to us about the spirit of language in relation to astrology and beforehand uh when we um opened up the session we went through a breathing exercise with you as well uh, and you spoke about um, the etymology of inspiration being linked to breath so one of the things that i was doing was i was just because of my own like uh, academic training in linguistics and in, in, in language especially the english language um, i was just going through the etymology of certain words namely the etymology of spirit the etymology of language and from there, trying to kind of link back to the other planet that you mentioned and the deity Hermes and Mercury. So what's quite uncanny is just on the side of my desk, I have a card of, you know, you can see it, of Hermes. So I had, we had no idea that that was going to be kind of brought up. So I'm kind of glad that he's overseeing what I'm about to say. So if we go to the etymology of, uh, of spirit, we kind of go to like the Proto-Indo-European uh, word of it. It comes from to blow, or to like the kind of the breath that you mentioned. Um, and again, so that's kind of, you know, so embodied breath, and it kind of centered us at the start of the, uh, at the start of the recording. And then if we go to the etymology of uh, language, we have lingua, or even the uh, Proto-Indo-European roots, I won't pronounce, which also means tongue. So we've got breath, we've got tongue, and um, if you look at the kind of traditional uh, significations of Mercury uh, and the anatomical links to Mercury, those are the realms of Mercury, the tongue and, and breath. So, you know, you kind of introducing the question to us, just even from a very embodied place, is so mercurial in nature. And um, everybody here in the group was speaking about the um, co-learning of languages um, whether it's English and astrology with Verena, um, whether it's, uh, you know, with myself, I was, uh, there's a kind of a co-development of le learning the language of uh, depth psychologies and uh, psychodynamic psychotherapies and astrology. That's kind of, they came hand in hand in my own personal development. And um, so I was learning to like speak to myself at the same time as speaking from myself, capital S. Uh, in a Jungian sense, uh, as well as also uh, understanding um, the kind of archetypal uh, language through through the zodiac, that is through astrology. And if we go to like the etymology of the zodiac itself, it's this circle of animals. Again, a very embodied, living, vitalizing, um, uh, you know, diadem. This kind of like you know crown that. We all kind of are lucky to be able to place on our on, upon our brow and and from that place, you know, speak speak something that is not only true to us but true of the world and true of the other. And the shared um, you know privilege of speaking the same language has meant that, especially in the container that Sabrina has created, you know, across across the Atlantic Ocean, from Verena and Morella and myself in Europe. Uh, all the way to, you know, the North American continent where everybody else is sitting here. There's a real beauty that we can um, share that the power of, of the language of astrology. 
Um, I think it was just ultimately just, you know, so beautiful, really. You know, a lot of people have been also talking about the magic of the language of astrology, I think, in the chat, especially. And I couldn't help but think about Ursula K. Le Guin's work, which is all about the magic of words. And I'm just going to share a few quotes, um, and then hopefully I'm going to link it all together. There's one quote from A Wizard of Earthsea, where Ursula K. Le Guin writes, for a word to be spoken, there must be silence before and after. And then she says in another uh, work, she says, um, <clears throat> when you speak a word to a listener, the speaking is an act and it is a mutual act. The listener's listening enables the speaker's speaking. It's a shared event, intersubjective. The listener and the speaker entrain with each other and then, you know, she goes on to say, this is why utterance is magic. Words do have power. Names have power. Words are events. They do things, change things. They transform both the speaker and the hearer. They feed energy back and forth and amplify it. They feed understanding or emotion back or forth and amplify it. And then in another extract, she says, so people seek that irreputable. Irreproducible moment, the brief, fragile community of story told among people gathered together in one place, like we're doing here. So children gather at the library to be read to. They look at the little circle of faces, like how we look at the circle of the animals in the sky, blazing with intensity. So the writer on a book tour, reading in the bookstore, and her group of listeners reenact the ancient ritual of the teller at the center of the circle. The living response has enabled that voice to speak. Teller and listener, each fulfills the other's expectation. The living tongue that tells the word, the living ear that hears it, bind and bond us in the communion we long for in the silence of our inner solitude. And I think that's what astrology and the spirit uh, of the language of astrology can really do. And it's, you know, the greatest privilege that during 2021, you know, Sabrina's invited me and, and all of us here to be together um, around that circle, around this circle, in order to kind of capture and, and, and embody and enliven us with that spirit of the language uh, of the Zodiac. And I think really for me, that's, the, that's something that is, um, it's a privilege, but it's also something that I also feel is a right. You know, all of us, when we show up each time today, we kind of assert our right to speak, you know, the freedom to speak and the freedom to um, to listen and communicate this particular, you know, the spirit of the language. It makes me think of the word logos, you know, capital L. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about uh, astrology, we very rarely talk about the logos of astrology. And I think it's a, it's a space, Jonathan, I feel as though with your work and your podcast, that you'll be able to open up this kind of uh, very uh, fascinating um, avenue of, of research and, and meaning making. You know, what is the logos of astrology? Um, and probably your guests, you know, and the people that you will speak to uh, in each conversation, uh, like building that circle together, maybe that logos um, and the nature of, of that of what they will say can kind of enliven the listener to the to that spirit of the language of astrology. So good luck and um, so yeah, 
definitely. I think it's a wonderful question. The fear of speaking. And I think, Jonathan, that creating a podcast is an act of, yeah, of revolution. And I think that astrology as a language is a way maybe for the one or the other to overcome the fear of speaking. And I see that so much in the inconjunct between Gemini and Scorpio and the inconjunct between Capricorn and Gemini. So this deep fear, Scorpio, of maybe being rejected, being outcast because of our spirituality, the rich wound, because of our maybe occult, um, yeah, occult um, sides. And the, the, the Capricorn archetype, the shadow expression of the Capricorn archetype, the society, the rules of the society, and that when we speak, We, um, we say something wrong in the eyes of the public and that we maybe in past lives have been, um, yeah, have been killed because of that. And so we, we don't speak, we cannot speak because we are full of fear to speak. And so this, 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 this relationship between Capricorn and Scorpio too, um, Gemini and I think all the in conjunct I always think about the sentence it's it's complicated so um, and I think that this it's complicated Gemini always wants to have a fantastic and very um, yeah creative way to find maybe a language so that we can overcome this fear and that we can overcome this um, repression or um, and I think that astrology is a language maybe for some of us um, a way a new language where we can find back to our truth and a way to communicate our truth and our maybe our spirituality Scorpio um, in a way that in a good way um, fits in a certain pattern or a certain um, frame or a certain um, it has a yeah it has a a construct Capricorn but in a good way so we speak about the certain planets but there's enough space to breathe Gemini so it's not too um, too dense or too um, repressive or something like that so I think that astrology is really magical in that way and that it can be freeing. And I think, or I had this impression of, yeah, astrology can be a way to recla reclaim our true language and to free our tongue, lingua, and um, to, yeah, to break free in a way. And that doing a podcast or speaking about astrology in um, public Are doing a workshop it's always and I feel that very much when I in Germany go out in the public and present a class and present a course I feel the fear and it's always an act of revolution and direct an act of healing and healing not only ourselves but healing our ancestries and for that healing everybody who comes after us 
So I think speak freely and maybe in the language of astrology, maybe in another language, whatever resonates with your soul is always in a way an act of revolution or an act of yeah, re-empowering of the soul to be courageous enough to speak whatever is true in this moment for the soul. I feel that like in my bones, Reina. I'm a Pluto in third house person, so yeah, totally. Um, there's a lot of conversation, and I think rightfully so, right, around how astrology is a language. And my sense, my felt sense of it is that yes, it's a language and it's all these other things that perhaps we haven't quite yet codified or like we haven't quite yet explored. And the other thing that I kind of wanted to bring to the table was, you know, how the language of astrology itself has really evolved um, over the course of even our short lives. Like most of us here were born in like, you know, probably like the 80s to 90s, right? Um, and how the use of astrology and even like the different branches of astrology that are in vogue have changed a lot, you know, from like when I started studying astrology by myself like 10 years ago. And so I'm really curious to hear like if you, if all of you have any thoughts around like how to revolutionize like the language of astrology itself and maybe if there's anything other, like is astrology also more than a language? And if so, if it's more than a language, like what is it? I have some thoughts. I do too. <laughs> um, I went to Norwalk one year where Rick Tarnas was giving a keynote and he said something that always stuck with me, which was that um, it's, it's good to combine astrology with other disciplines um, because it enriches the astrology and it enriches the other disciplines. And so if we want to use like language, it's like astrologers are multilingual. And I think we've been like kind of uncovering that here. But, um, you know, for example, when I was learning about Saturn, I think I was like getting the real Saturn download, like beyond the caricature of Saturn. But when I was like being initiated into a gnosis of what Saturn is, I was also learning law of attraction via like Abraham Hicks teachings. And I made this connection between karma and cause and effect with these like new age spiritual teachings. And that has forever changed how I talk about Saturn and think about Saturn with this like very, you know, possibility centered realism in some sense, but also kind of magical. So, you know, and then Rudy bringing in depth psychology, right? Like, um, I think part of yeah, the field of astrology growing richer, you know, or astrology being a revolutionary force is like the bridging of astrology between other things, because you have maybe herbalists who connect with astrology. And that is an amazing, you know, process for, for them and who they're engaging with. Gosh, Sabrina, we're on the exact same page, because that's exactly what I was um, going to say, which is such a Gemini Mercury thing to do, right? To take different parts to collect all this information and then to synthesize it, to create, to, to get to an even greater truth. Um, and when I think about it, I think about, you know, how colonized the English language is and actually how, um, 
how closed off and how many blind spots we actually have to our lived experience and how oppressive that can actually be. So when I think about it, I'm like, what other languages exist that don't center innovation or capitalism at its center? And there's actually this um, indigenous community in Alabama. Um, I think you pronounce it the Muscogee people, but they're creating an intentional community that centers their Muscogee language, which has been developed next to natural the natural world versus the English language and how capitalism doesn't even factor into their worldview because the language grammatically doesn't contain those structures. And so like I'm thinking about, I'm like, I can't even conceptualize that because I grew up speaking English. And there's there's an intentional an indigenous intentional community that's starting up in Alabama. And I think about integrating that into this sort of divine study of the planets. Or I think about Buddhism and evolutionary astrology. I've always felt that inherent um, dovetailing of of the concepts of reincarnation and um, all this talk around channeling and the study of the mind in Buddhism and consciousness, like how similarly they are in terms of parallel studies. And Buddhism is all about checking your patterned will, right? And so how can we also do that in alignment with, yeah, so I'm all about integrating things. I think that that's how we create these like new, interesting, um, revolutionary structures, like the future of the language is, um, I think is really at those moments of intersection, So yeah, I totally agree with you, Sabrina, 100%. I'm like, how can we get more people with different disciplines in this space? Um, Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Jenny, because I keep thinking about people that have um, Indigenous cultures, especially because I've been learning um, Quechua with my Andean cosmology and just how such one word can have a universe of meaning to it. And back to the throat and the breath and chanting. Um, I, I feel that the linguistics of other languages, there's a known, um, something that we might not be completely aware of in the West is that the vibration of your throat has a very connected feeling to creating your reality. So if you start to play with that in the throat and the tongue, like you were talking about Rudy, and, and we are a little bit more um, intentional with what we're doing, we draw in more meaning. But because there is this colonized language that we've been working through, back to me, it's a spell, right? We, we confuse ourselves. We have these layers of veils in front of us because our words are actually always creating that. Um, and if we think about astrology in the term of the Western view, um, it, it's taking things, uh, but there's still veils that are, that need to be lifted. Um, and I just, I feel that there's so much that it's almost like that we're in this kaleidoscope of understanding and that the consciousness is starting to move very fast. Um, I also wanted to say to you, Jonathan, like I've been playing with people are so um, short attention spans now, right? So it's hard to, we've talking about like, how do you communicate with your platform and keep people's attention? And so I've been playing with 
little memes that say a lot with one sentence, but then also with lyrics in the stories. Like I've been trying to combine the two so that the 30 seconds says something, whether people are understanding that they don't have to read two paragraphs of what my thoughts are, but they're getting like a little bang on soundbite. And it's, I'm trying to create impact that way. So I'm trying to play as well. Yeah. I, I even see that with how we incorporate things like the asteroids, right? I remember when in this course, we opened ourselves up to the asteroid goddesses, like something really shifted in our collective space, you know, and, and there's like more space to make or to assign meanings to maybe things that were kind of like Venusian and then maybe also kind of Sagittarian and then, you know, like in the melding of that, we find maybe form in like Vesta or something like that, right? And how like that's also part of um, creating new language and furthering this language has to do with expanding that vocabulary of the archetypes. Because of this um, idea of the the fastening of language or that, um, yeah, it, it all gets quicker and quicker and I think not language because of our world that becomes quicker and quicker and we are in the transition phase to a new dimension which is opening up and it's very uncomfortable for us now because we are not um, used to the new um, time or to the new idea how time can flow and for that how language can flow and it's we are in a huge huge transition change period and i think that it is so important that we change our language too and especially in astrology too to bring it back to your um question jonathan that you had at the beginning with um astrology and new language i think that we have these um, the archetypes and in a more traditional sense these description of the planets and of the in, in, yeah which school you have maybe the houses as well they are um, in a box in a way or they can be in a box in a way and I think that it's one of our tasks as astrologers now who live in this transitioning times that we widen the astrological language too because the time is changing and for that maybe the uh, not maybe i think so that the archetypes are changing too and i think it is more important than ever that we really get into the conversation with the planets and that we live the astrology in the world as it is right now, not as it was in the Renaissance or not as it was in Hellenic times in Old Greek, but now. And that we work with our transits as astrologers, that we see, okay, Venus, what is she actually doing right now in my life? How I do I live the transit so that we can widen our perspective? What does it mean? when Jupiter is 
in this place in my chart and what is happening in my life. So what is really the, the felt experience? So it's, it's a little bit like a, like an exploration um, or a field study, um, how we can widen the, 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 the archetypes and the ideas that are in astrology um, already set up about them. And I think the asteroids are so cool and so great and so opening and expansive because there's not so much thing about them written down. So we have this white sheet of paper and we can look, okay, like I do with Diana now, I can explore the archetype very, very freely um, because there's not so much about her in astrological terms. And I think that with the with the transitional planets, it's re it, it would be really expensive and I know that we all in this group, we do that so that we can rethink Mercury retrograde phase mm -hmm, and that we can rethink and yeah, re find new ideas. What maybe Venus can mean now in this now totally changed times in which we live now. Um, yeah. I also I also love this concept of the field study. The the chart is a field study and how living into the planets of your chart is actually different. So we all have Venus, right? We all have all the planets, we all have all the signs in our chart, but the sort of lived in experience of each person's field experience is different. I just like got this image of all of us like going out into a field with like our our sun hats and like our little picks and just like digging it. I don't know. I'm an earth, uh, earth sun sign. So I just like figure us like digging up bones or something, just like field studying ourselves. Um, but I, I just love, I love that though. And, and every answer is right. Like that's the thing for each person. Right. Um, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, Jenny, I love that because I think that, yeah, to, to even highlight this, I think 50 years ago, the Venus archetype, when, when I think about my mother and she grew up in the 60s and what did it mean to embody Venus for her? Yeah, and also to that end, Verena, I feel like what I've been really feeling into is, you know, thinking about astrology as a devotional practice, right? That we are always influenced by our times and by our channel and how, you know, we've been conditioned that we can only see like a sliver of that archetype, right? And so as we progress in our study and in our practice, we change how we relate to the archetype. Like the archetype shows itself, shows a different facet than what we normally see as we change our lens. I wanted to comment on that because one of the things that was like a meditation kind of opening for me in the earlier parts of my deep astrology study was to consider all of the archetypes as like infinitely mysterious and, you know, they are beings, there's a sentience and that I can't claim to know them in a collapsed way. And to bring in Rick Tarnas again, he has this parable of the two suitors in Cosmos and Psyche, where what energy are we bringing to get to know the universe and imagining that we're courting the universe? And 
um, he's describing these two different approaches where, you know, imagine approaching someone that you're courting, but you assume that you are more intelligent than them, that you know everything about them, and that they are just there for you to extract from and use to your benefit versus approaching a suitor who you see as mysterious and equally, if not more intelligent than you, and you seek to know them, not to control or dominate them, but to like deepen into this like in, enhanced kind of like collective understanding with each other. Um, and I see that with like, just the way that we engage our relationship with astrology. I think for anyone wanting to have like a personal revolution with astrology, the moment that you give up any collapsed narrative about your chart or a planet or a sign and inquire into who is this being really, or what is this energy really? Like I seek to know you and have that genuine openness that we will actually be transformed. Like there's uh, just a deeper kind of relational quality to that, as opposed to that um, coming in, assuming we know. And I think, you know, this goes for how we relate to the plant world and animals as well. Um, I find like, you know, I'm always like marvel at how people who meet my cat like will bring out a different side of her that I've never seen before because they're relating to her in a way that I don't. And I see my cat has a facet of her personality that I didn't even know existed. And I'm stunned by that. Right. And like just that sense of being able to be surprised uh, by anyone or anything, any being that we're in relationship with, including the planets um, and being mindful of the language that we're using. And if we're using language to form caricatures uh, or reductions um, of these archetypes. I think even like the genius of the title of your podcast, the magic of the spheres, um, just those three simple words, it can take away, it, it, it allows the energy to be embodied in that relation and in the intimacy that we work through with the planets and like most of your teachings, like you're, you're connecting and you're dancing with the planet. And it's not just about reading a blurb in a book somewhere and, you know, memorizing that and memorizing symbols. And you're actually, you're teaching Sabrina and all of us through this course. Now we're having this intimate dance. And I think that speaks to decolonizing some of the things because a lot of the language in the books that were written in the past, it's like, this is the way it is and thou shalt and you must remember and these are the rules and you can't go away from that. But we're going more into working with energy, which is a more um, indigenous way of connecting to the earth, the planet, the stars. And once you get into that space, it's less about looking outward as it is about receiving and having channeling the the energy to come in where then it's up to you to be able to um, voice vocalize and um, translate what you've received and then we're actually really in that intimate connection rather than just memorization and um, repetitive analysis as we move through absolutely yeah i love that kelly Oh, it was just in relation to um, what you and uh, I think Sabrina were mentioning with regards to 
um, the language of astrology uh, and you mentioned devotion and Sabrina was speaking about that more of an animist relation um, to uh, to the planets and to the cosmos and using that wonderful um, parable in Cosmos and Psyche um, in order to kind of enchant and to, you know, encourage enchantment with you and the universe itself. What I was thinking of was I was looking at some of the etymology of some of the words that you had used to open um, our discussion today, Jonathan. And one of the words that came to me was oration. And I wanted to look at the kind of, you know, the etymology of that. And it kind of just really, um, I, didn't, I hadn't really considered that this was the etymology of what, what the word is. And uh, it comes from um, the Latin uh, for a prayer. So, uh, you know, oration is not only just to, uh, to have the kind of speaking or speech or the faculty of speech or expressing or, you know, speaking before an assembly in a very Roman way. Um, oration can also mean you know, a prayer. And there's something about the oration of, um, of astrology um, where we speak in prayer um, between uh, the planets and ourselves. Uh, and I, I just think that that's where that devotional uh, relationship uh, can start to, uh, start to occur. And that's, I think, hinting to possibly, possibly um, a way to look beyond uh, language. Um, even though prayer and, and to speak, you know, a prayer um, requires some language, I think all of us have been in a situation where prayer surpasses language. It's, a, it's an affect. It's even a sensation, actually. Um, we can pray with our body. Um, we can pray with our feelings. Sometimes words aren't even used when we're in prayer. So... Um, the oration of astrology, which sounds so grand and formal, and it sounds like, you know, uh, you know, you could argue the podcast voice, which I think if everybody can understand what that means here, there is this kind of, uh, the, the New York Times did a brilliant uh, article which used audio clips where it kind of uh, dissected and, and deconstructed the podcast voice, which seems to be a very particular register when people speak on a podcast compared to other forms of communication. So hopefully, like actually beyond the, that register, um, the actual prayer, um, the, you know, the oration of astrology isn't just within the level of a podcast or within the conversation that we're having today, but also can be um, the prayer of astrology itself. So I think that's one of the key threads here that Sabrina's allowed the container for us not to only speak in the spirit of astrology and what uh, Rowena was mentioning earlier, uh, you know, the freedom to speak in the spirit of astrology, but I think also the art, uh, uh, the oration, um, the rhetoric uh, of astrology, I think is, is, uh, is as key too. So I feel like I can really speak to all of you about this like forever, but I do want to bring us to a closure here and i'm curious if any final thoughts are coming up for any of you um i just wanted to thank you jonathan for this space there's just been times during this conversation where i felt kind of like my eyes like watering because this has just been so beautiful and profound 
Um, and so I'm just really grateful for you creating this container for this conversation and for everyone's beautiful shares. Yeah, thank you, everyone. I feel like this group just always brings the A-game by just breathing, which is really incredible. Um, I learned so much from every one of you and, you know, throughout this conversation and throughout our time together. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And thank you, Sabrina, for bringing us together. I was in that conversation, I listened to it again while I was editing, and even then, I'm still blown away by the magic that was breathed, articulated, ideated in this space. Um, yeah. I hope you found it incredible too. In case you are listening to this and you are curious to learn more about Meteorite, you can find the link in the show notes um, among the many links <laughs> that I have in the show notes for this episode. I believe that you have to be a graduate of Sabrina's Evolutionary Astrology Intensive in order to join the course. But if you have been studying evolutionary astrology or even astrology in general for some time, you may want to reach out to Sabrina to see if you can join Meteorite. As I mentioned, you can also find the links for all of my classmates in the show notes if you want to connect with them, support them, or get sessions with them. If you found this podcast or this conversation to be inspiring, nourishing, or helpful in one way or another, I would absolutely love it if you could subscribe, rate, or review this podcast with five stars or whatever is the highest ranking on your podcast app. If you think someone else will benefit from this episode, please share them too, whether that's on social media, with a friend, or with your community. All right, until next time, I hope you take good care of yourself, and I'm sending you so much love. Thank you for listening. Thank you.